Hello and welcome to the UBA Extra Salt podcast. This podcast is an exploration of the speech and language therapy profession offering extracurricular topics with extra special guests, hoping to create intrigue around the possibilities of the profession. In truly professionally reflective style, all of our guests submit their three proudest achievements and three biggest difficulties to discuss so that we can learn from their journey. Season one shines a light on the less well-known clinical areas, and I'm proud to say that my extra special guest today is Janine Short. Janine has always worked in Norfolk, but done almost everything on offer there. She started in a mixed post, then adult acute, adult voice, independent work, which was mixed again, and now specialist brain injury. Janine says of speech and language therapy, I find our subject and medical and health issues endlessly fascinating. Um, so Janine. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me, Emma. It's nice to speak to you. Nice to have that intro as well, summing up your life. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably the most generalist specialist therapist in Norfolk, I think. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good book title one day. (laughs) One day. you're, You're obviously really interested in lots of things about... Um, the medical elements of speech and language therapy given that you've kind of dotted around a lot so were there other things on offer to you when you were thinking about what career you might want to go into or was it always speech and language therapy? No I'm one of those people that didn't really know what they wanted to do I did a psychology degree first and foremost and uh, in doing that degree I did a uh, essay and it included uh, language disorders and just found it really, really interesting. And then just started to go down that line, really. But uh, no, I never really looked at anything more medical before that. Since that, I think, oh, I could have been a this, I could have been a that. So I think if you've got those, those interests in just in medicine generally, you're going to find adult work really fascinating because it is the more medical end of speech therapy and that's where you feel at home or is it specifically brain injury now that you feel at home no because um yeah I've done a bit of everything and I think I've enjoyed most of everything actually I really enjoyed voice and head and network and I only really gave that up just it was more to do with life things you know Mm. children came along and so um I find it all really quite fascinating. I think there's like to learn in everything. There's something to kind of get your teeth into and, you know, hone your craft in really. And you've also done a mixture of independent and NHS. I have. As have I. So, um, and that's always really interesting when people have gone between the two of them, because I similarly have. And I was just curious, what do you, they are different and similar you know depending on how your perspective is and what you're doing at the time but what do you really value from each of those ways of working um so from nhs you've got a great team around you that you can go for support to go for um advice you you kind of learn things from other people um and that can be other speech therapists that can be you know uh psychologists physios the doctors you're not going to have that team around you unless you're very very lucky working independently um you've got the medical um access to medical records uh if you work in the nhs and you're not you know if you can get hold of medical records working independently but it's not there it's not available to you just by nature 
Um, so I really value being part of, within a team, I think, in the NHS. Um, I think that's great. You just bounce ideas off of each other and yeah, just learn so much. Independently, I think it's totally different actually, uh, the, the, what I gain from it. And it is a lot of the time, because people are paying, they're going to put the effort in and they're going to mm. commit to therapy and I and that's you know as a therapist that's what you want so that's that's fantastic not everyone but a lot of a much bigger proportion of them will really make that commitment to therapy and that's when you see if it really works do you think that commitment is more profound with adults that you work with yes yes absolutely. because I work pediatrically and I think you're right some people their motivation has increased because they're paying for it but sometimes I think they think they're paying for a magic wand <laughs> yeah and that's the scary bit of independent working for me because they're paying you I think yeah exactly what you say but it feels like there's massive pressure on you to cure and I'm not you know with adults you're rarely in the business of cure so um there's there's uh areas of adult work I've not enjoyed doing independently such as aphasia because you've really got to set it up so that you're saying we're looking at functional gains and 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 that doesn't necessarily fit in with what that person's come to you for it doesn't necessarily fit in with what relatives think you're going to be able to do because in that sense you're almost a second opinion they've almost had to what they were going to get from the NHS it's like well I'm sure that they might just be under constraints for resources yeah absolutely yeah or someone out there is more specialist than just the the person I happen to have on the NHS so yeah (laughs) 20 years experience (laughs) (laughs) I think that perhaps there is um perhaps there is within some of the general population a a tendency to not uh value uh, the skills of NHS staff at mm. times perhaps to see that there is something bigger and better in specialist practice but actually we're one and the same very often you'll find that in medicine as well very often that consultant is an NHS consultant too yeah no absolutely one of the challenges that you put when you submitted your little <laughs> kind of set of answers <laughs> to me was about the difficulties of working with the constraints of the NHS in terms of a constraint on resources. I think you meant by that. Do you think that has, it's obviously a national issue and and seen everywhere, but are there specific challenges for you in your brain rehab unit due to that? Um, Well, actually working where I work now, I would say, there are i mean we're still not as resourced as we'd like this is probably the job where i've had the most um most time to dedicate to patients uh the most staff available you know per patient um compared to other um areas that i've worked community clinics and outpatient working i actually think we're we're not badly resourced. I shouldn't say that too loudly, should I? Because it sounds like somebody might be listening. Yeah. But um, we're not too badly. But I'm, you know, because I work independently and because of contacts I've made, um, you do get to hear of patients who, when they do, you know, so some of our patients um, are 
they've had a brain injury as a result of an accident. And um, so if they're successful in their legal claim, they will get funding, mm -hmm. which will enable them to have private therapy, um, which they have quite intensively. And you do always wonder, you hear these, these stories, you see them sometime later, and you do wonder if, if the resources could really be thrown at these patients, how much more progress could we get them to make? And I think that, you know, you do hear some stories within, within that setup where they are making some amazing progress. So. Why do you think your service is less impacted than others so why do you think you're better resource is it that there's a really strong evidence base for how you're set up or that you're specialist uh, i think there is a really good strong evidence base but i think also it's to do with the fact that we're a tier one service so we're directly funded by nhs england um, a lot of the evidence does come out of northwick park so we've got like they're our grandparent hospital if you like so we can always draw on the research that they've done well um, and it directly applies because we're so similar to them so yeah I think we're just quite lucky in the way we've been funded and, and managed to kind of in that escape some of the cutbacks in recent years but they've come um, yeah they've, they've come to us too yeah <laughs> so it's not like we've completely escaped it but I think compared to other services we are pretty well resourced really mm. and you Fortunate. were part of the cactus project was yeah uh, which some yeah. people that are listening won't necessarily have heard of but that was an amazing piece of work and an amazing achievement yeah it was actually and it was um i was only a very small part of it so as an outcome measures therapist um, just going out to patients homes patients who were part of the project um, and yeah just assessing them once they they'd done their treatment and I was going along and assessing them afterwards and then submitting uh, uh, submitting that data so yeah it was it was nice to be part of a big project and it was quite a successful project as well are there any other things in the pipeline that have not, come as a consequence of that or um not directly to me but it's funny because i think um I, I always think now i've taken a few chances with my career really um and then i realize as time goes by there's always new things that come up like this um but there's <laughs> there's just always there's always new things that come along so yeah you seem like somebody that likes new challenges and new projects I think I do yeah I think I think I do I think um it's kind of you know life has moved on since I was very very young you know you'd I'm not saying that speech therapy isn't a career for life but I think a lot of people now have to think about adapting and I think that's what you have to do I think a bit in speech therapy as well I've as I as you know I've always worked in Norfolk um and you've got to kind of adapt to what the needs of the jobs are so you know you you can plan out your career in your head and decide i want to do this you know x y and z but if there isn't a role for that where you are and you know like most women as it is quite a female profession you do end up sometimes just having to stay in that trust because that's where you're based so i think um for me 
it's just I, I like to just think okay well everything's a learning opportunity you know you can you can get something out of everything so let's try something new let's make the best of it let's do it as well as I can we seem to be doing a pretty good job so far <laughs> so well done. there's one thing that you wrote in your um challenges but you wrote it in a very warm way it sounds like it's a double-edged sword a little bit from the way oh, that okay. you wrote it but that would be consistent to almost any client group I wonder if it's just magnified slightly with the client group that you're currently working with but it was enjoying the challenge of working out each patient's needs and the ability to do bespoke therapy and management but caveating that against having to be mindful of family expectations and managing that slightly yeah, and we sort of mentioned, we sort of um, bordered onto that before, didn't we, with independent working. So um, I think in, in adult speech therapy, you're rarely looking at, in terms of outcomes, you're rarely looking at cure. The only area that I've ever worked in, and I think this is probably true of adult speech therapy, where you work towards a cure as an outcome, would be voice, so functional voice disorders. Otherwise, you're mostly working with functional sort of outcomes um, and looking at those sorts of goals. And um, that's not necessarily going to match the, the desires of, particularly where I'm working, it's a lot of the time it's the family because the patient often is very disabled and isn't necessarily the one who is pushing, you know, the, the therapy agenda there. Um, and that's understandable because our, our relatives are, are, have just probably had the most horrendous experience happen to them, to, to their loved one. And they want them to be back where they were before. And unfortunately, where I'm working, it's a tier one unit. And by very definition, the patients who come to us are the most complex and severe in the region. So they're going to have huge, huge disabilities. And even at the end of their therapy, chances are they're going to walk away with life-changing disabilities. So um, I do enjoy working out. Yeah, I, I think I always have got a real kick out of trying to work out what therapy is best going to suit them and applying it. And sometimes you're, you know, you'll know this, you're doing various different things at the same time you might be working on their apraxia you might also be working on their swallowing you might be working on their aphasia you might have lots of different goals and some of them aren't necessarily directly speech or swallow goals um, but um, yeah I, I, I really enjoy thinking okay what's the best way to deliver this what 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 do they need? Who are they? How do we best fit this to them and their life and their, their future needs? Um, a lot of the time, if you can, it's great to get the patient involved, get the family involved. Um, if that's, you know, if they're, if they're able to be involved or want to be involved and aren't too, too, too sort of stuck in their grief. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I've just always got a real kick out of it really and that's never gone away that's that's just increased as I've gotten older and more experienced and tried this before and that worked and tried this and that doesn't work and you get a better understanding of different areas of therapy and um, I just it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle that you're trying to fit together and 
I never really liked jigsaw puzzles as a kid, but I quite like it. <laughs> I quite like it in terms of, of, of speech therapy. And it is a, a really complex area that you work in. So there is quite a lot of, is there a, well, I'm assuming now, you tell me, I, I'm guessing there's a lot of working hypothesis and assessment to try and actually nail that down a little bit more, but then matching that, like you say, with very functional goals that are very, very person-centred. Yeah. And, and that's quite a big juggling act, isn't it? Between that almost sciencey side, very impairment-based way of thinking of trying to find out which boxes on a, on, on a model aren't working compared to how that then actually manifests and impacts somebody. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm thinking of a patient that I've got at the moment, you said about different hypotheses and we were hypothesizing one thing and then we had a fees done with this chap and it's told us something else. And I'm thinking, oh, if we did the treatment that we said before, it might make that bit worse. So what do we do? <laughs> so, yeah, but um, that's, I think in the end, we have no crystal ball um, and we try things and we sometimes have to backpedal hugely um, and try something new. Um, yeah. And that's where that team becomes so important to bounce those ideas off and get different perspectives, presumably multi-professionally as well as. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, as I said to you before, I think it's great to work within a team. Um, when you're struggling and stuff, it's really difficult independently. It's really lovely to go back to your team and say, you know, even now, even all these years down and down the road in my career, I go back and say, I haven't got a clue what to do with this person what do you think you know there's this there's that what should we be doing here what you know give me some advice and we'll just we'll just chat it through and that is worth its weight in gold really mm. and it's nice for other people to hear that you don't have all the answers all of the time no but but human beings are so complex aren't mm -hmm. they so how could anyone have all the answers really we're so complex the brain is so complex we haven't worked it out yet so you know we're not going to have all the answers and the other thing is that i think even if you medically and organically had all the answers for a patient they're not necessarily psychologically in that place that's not necessarily what they want or they need so mm. yeah everyone's so unique you know every patient you meet and every family you meet they're so unique and that's what i mean about bespoke therapy you know you can't just keep churning out the same thing for each person just because they've got this type of aphasia or this type of swallowing problem and one of your difficulties was about delivering bad news and obviously how um, upsetting that can be and how challenging for you that can be when you deliver that bad news is that something that's decided as an MDT is there a discussion that happens or do you work uni professionally or how how much of it is a team's responsibility compared to a profession's responsibility um it depends what the bad news is the nature of the bad news so obviously if it's more medical the doctor's going to do that mm -hmm. but um and we do chat i'm very fortunate where, working where i work we have a lot of of multidisciplinary meetings about patients mm -hmm. uh so we will talk about what needs to be said what 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 needs to be you know sometimes you've got to um you've got to if you're going to get someone to work with you on the goals and agree to those goals, you've got to be in a similar sort of mindset. Um, but if it's, you know, if it's communication or swallowing goals, then it's, it's largely for me to deliver. 
Um, and so there's, yeah, it, it never really gets any easier if, if it is bad news. Um, and there isn't any specific training for that that you ever get given. Um, so again, with each patient, you, you're sort of learning and, and, and people can only take on so much at any time with bad news. And sometimes they'll say to you, I've never been told this before. And you think even by the time they get to us, they've usually had a long stay in acute. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I think people hear it when they're ready to hear it they'll adjust that's a very slow process but sometimes it feels like you're saying it to them and you're the first person I'm sure I'm not but it's it's part of their adjustment it's part of their acceptance it's part of their grief really. How far along do you find that the families are at the point where they come to you having been in acute because some of the story we've, we've chatted historically about various things and some of the scenarios you've told me about would be less of a shock to the patient, but possibly a, a huge shock to the family if they didn't know what was going on in that person's life at the time and, and things like that. And other things are very much out of the blue for everybody um, and have been a, a kind of an accident that nobody could have ever predicted. So are the families at different points when they come to you? Yeah completely different points and no two families are the same some uh, families what really happens I think is you know this awful event has happened to their loved one and initially they're just 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 make it just be alive just be alive and by the time they get to us that that goal has been achieved Um, and now it's about starting to get them to realize that this person is is so different now and they've got these huge disabilities and we can't wave that magic wand and um, and you know some people are very realistic but most people are in a state of they're going through that grief cycle so there there's the probably already been through the denial but there's still a little thread of denial going on you must be wrong you're not that specialist um uh they're, they're, they're not really, most people are not at a level of acceptance yet. They're still, they're totally shocked and, and desperately just want things to, to be right again. Where are they at the point where they leave you, do you think, where they get discharged? Um, again, that's, that's very different according to different families. They, patients tend to stay with us somewhere between six weeks and well it can go on for about six months um so there's i mean time does help people accept but um it's 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 tricky really because sometimes they they almost seem as if they've gone to the other extreme they've totally accepted it and you sometimes that's more worrying because you think i don't think you you know if this person is coming home with you i don't think you quite acknowledged the level of difficulty they're gonna what you're gonna have to do to support them i think um there's it it takes years really to accept and adjust to that kind of difficulty and it, it and it's obviously very different according to who that person is and where they fit into the family you know if it's your child it's going to feel like 
one awful level of awfulness if it's your husband it's going to feel like another level of awfulness you know if they were the main breadwinner that brings all sorts of other financial issues with it it, it it's a huge loss it's a huge loss and I don't think by the time they've come through acute and then come through our specialist brain injury that every, anyone's really adjusted. It takes years. And some people possibly never get there, yeah, actually. Absolutely. With it as Abs- well. Which is completely understandable, isn't mm-hmm. it? Um, and that's one of the, the tricky parts of the job. So I said to you in, you know, when you asked me mm. um, to send you information, we're very human. All of us who work there, most most of us have got families, uh, and most of us that 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 does you know does make you kind. Especially when we get young people, it does make you see it in a certain way, and and it's it's heartbreaking. Um, we never stop really feeling like that, and we can totally understand why people don't accept and don't adjust, and why families can sometimes be very very difficult in um kind of advocating for their relative it's great they're advocating but sometimes you know you're not you're almost at loggerheads with each other um and you you try very very gently to to get this person to sort of see that we can't we can't do that for your loved one that's not going to help we can't you know that would be the magic wand situation mm. so but we totally get it as well that's that grief cycle again isn't it yeah and, and fight or flight as well I think has so much to do with it in those really high intensity situations for families yeah and, and many of them go to fight because they feel like they're doing something they feel like they're going to be an agent of change rather than passively sitting back and and watching it and we want the, the relatives, you know, we want them to be the, that person's advocate. They need to be in the mm. future. So, you know, we don't want to shake out of them or, or for want of a better phrase, um, they, they, they're going to need that going forward. But uh, you've got to somehow try to match some goals or you, you, you're not going to, you know, it's going to be so hard and you're not going to achieve what you want to achieve it's just another level to work on isn't it and it's a very emotive area of work that you're doing because one of the things that you talked about was that individual cases can be quite triggering for you as a therapist and and for other therapists in the team as well and I was curious to know obviously it's often an emotional job and I'd imagine you've got strategies more day-to-day for managing that what do you do or what support do you get when something does come through that that is particularly difficult um i do think we're quite a good team where i work so um so there's always someone within the team you can go to we're really fortunate as well we've got clinical psychologists um as part of our team so and and we have regular kind of in-house training with them um, you've also got supervision, either your management supervision or clinical supervision, so you can bring that up there. Um, as I say, most of us are a bit older. <laughs> uh, most of us have got families. So I, I think, you know, there's a great source of support. Everyone there is, is very, very human. And yeah so that's what you can do at work I think you've got to set up your own boundaries and 
they are very personal where you put those boundaries mm. um there's certain things that you know that are defined by your um by the job and uh and and by your contract within that job but i think most most people have their own boundaries as well and i think for me it's really important when i come away from work to try and be away from work um and if i can't easily do that then then i go to the gym <laughs> <laughs> away <laughs> somewhere with some yeah. free brain space yeah i think you need to i do i think with a job like this you need to you need to really know yourself and to recognize what really helps you switch off mentally uh, you know mindfulness exercise all those sorts of things i think can just keep you in the job longer because it's not necessarily about being hardened to it in my opinion no. there's, there's an element of being resilient and, and all of these words that we i suppose bandy around a little bit but you don't want to lose that empathy and that consideration for others because often it's what drives us as therapists that we have that empathy and think I I want to make this person's life better so you can't become cold to it you just have to understand how to process it I suppose and yeah yeah no one wants a cold hard therapist do they he's no. you know he's he's been around the block and just it's just closed up shop of their heart really um, I think you do have to you do have to be human and allow yourself to be human and occasionally that means you're going to burst into tears about one of your patients I think that happens with all of us from time to time we you know we we get in some none of our cases actually are easy and we're a 20 bedded the inpatient service is a 20 bedded unit and as I said to you by definition we take the region's most complex and mm. severe patients. So every patient you go to has got a pretty awful story. One of them at some point is going to really hit home for you, um, more than one probably. And it's okay to just walk away sometimes and just grieve for that person, for the situation they're in. There'll be, there'll be something about particular patients where it just hits you really hard. But you're right, you can't not be human um, because why do the job? And I know that you passionately believe it in that because one of your comments was how much you love supporting junior staff, especially those with passion. <laughs> I do, yes. We, we love having students actually at the Coleman Hospital, but we know it's a challenge. It's not an easy placement. Um, it's as, as, as I've just explained to you that our, our caseload is, is, is heartbreaking at times. Um, and some of them are very young. Um, so, and, and they're complex and severe so it's 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 a tough place to come on a placement if you come to us and you and you get through it with shining colors then you're you're pretty amazing and but we love having students we really do and we try our hardest to um to support them through our challenging placement um and we've had some brilliant brilliant uh students in recent years um and and it's lovely it's really lovely watching students come along that they usually come along and they're terrified um uh because it's that specialist unit and it mm. is like the bogeyman isn't it really but um but they impress us all the time really um and we love it when they come along and they've 
they thought about adults it's it's we get quite a lot who have maybe only thought about the job from a pediatric point of view mm -hmm. um but it's great when we get them and they've they've really thought about the, the the adult side of it and they're open to it you know everyone has their own personal preferences don't they but when they've thought about that and they've realized you know that actually this is an experience to really get your teeth into adult work and and to give it your best go so and do you yeah. have band fives do you get newly qualified therapists or do they generally come after rotation or another no job? we don't have band fives actually and i think we felt quite strongly as a unit that uh, it's a bit too challenging for band mm -hmm. fives i think you need to cut your teeth really in other jobs um i couldn't have done this job i don't think as a band five there's just too much i mean the processes um are different as well we we collect quite a lot of data which is um uk rock data so that's 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 quite a lot of different processes we're key workers for star for, for patients so there's quite a lot of contact with relatives um organizing um discharges and things like that so the, i think it's quite a really bit too much of a challenge mm -hmm. for a band five um yeah i think you're better off getting a bit of experience with things first and then coming to us <laughs> no i completely agree and i think there's lots if somebody was interested in trying to work in a specialist unit like yours there are lots of other areas that are very easily accessible by band fives to get jobs in that would yeah. put you in really good stead for that absolutely i think most areas really of adult therapy you know most areas are going to include either acute working or outpatient working and all of those you know there's lots of transferable skills you're going to learn your therapy if you go into acute work you're probably going to be doing lots of dysphagia you're going to get very very good at dysphagia if you go into outpatient work you're going to get lots of communication work as well as dysphagia so you know you sort of Cut your teeth with those things, get some sort of good good uh, experience behind you, settle down a little bit, feel less nervous, and then we're sort of, you know, come along to a brain injury unit. But I think it would be just just too much, really, for a band five. But like you say, it's that passion that is required because these difficult jobs become very rewarding and enjoyable you're allowed to enjoy it as well and find yes. it interesting um and that is often the key ingredient you don't do a job like yours if no. you're not really that into it or that interested by it no and and i you know despite all the challenges i do absolutely love it i love working with patients i love working with families it, it is a challenge but it's still really really re rewarding um yeah we, yeah it's just great we see uh, such a huge variety um of speech and language therapy patients and conditions and yeah it, it's a specialist generalist yes i think i am <laughs> lots of medical knowledge <laughs> i think i'm yeah I've, i think i'm probably got the most generalist background of any <laughs> adult speech therapist i'm aware of <laughs> 
Oh, well, I feel like there needs to be um, uh, an unwritten rule to this podcast that if I'm converted by the end of it, then it was a lovely interview. And you've, you've definitely made <laughs> me want converted? to go into this as well. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's success. <laughs> Everyone I've spoken to, I'm like, why did I not do that when I qualified? Why did I not work towards that? It's, um, it is truly fascinating. And I, I think an incredible incredible job for the right people and you definitely sound like the right person for the job it's, it's been really inspiring listening to you thank you so much oh well it was really nice talking to you and yeah I hope I didn't waffle on too much <laughs> no it was wonderful thank you for listening to the UEA Extra Salt podcast you can find the SLT teaching team at UEA on Twitter with our handle at SLT underscore UEA Alternatively, if you'd like to contact me directly, you can find me at Emma SLT Ferris. Talk soon.